0: you're listening to the archaeology podcast network
1: hi everybody we really appreciate you listening to our show on the all shows food but if you are listening to our show in the all shows food if you could please stop and subscribe to our podcast subscribing directly to our podcast and listening to our show on our page allows us to grow and uses those metrics to get patrons subscribers ad advertising so if you could just go ahead and do that that'd be greatly appreciated now on to the show Welcome to episode 105 of the Laughing Roads podcast. How's your house Carthy going? I'm here with my co David Jonathan and Connor. I've been David Howe and Connor Jonathan. Today we're so interviewing our guest, Stephen Milo, who's returning to us for the third time on this podcast, and uh, we're super excited
2: to have him on. So, uh, thank you for coming back on the podcast. podcast, <laughs> Stephen. How are you doing this evening? <laughs> <laughs> all right, you did it, man. You got me to laugh again. Stefan walked away. He just walked. Away from <laughs> <me>. <laughs> it's all frozen for me. I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> is he just frozen, or is he gone?
1: Uh, no, he, he got up and laughed. Like he legit walked away from his computer.
3: Uh. And we lost our guest
0: <laughs>
2: oh, oh no, he's getting oh, Glad
0: oh, to Thanks so much
2: <laughs> Stefan, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show I'm really grateful for you to be here right now Because we know you're super busy And your YouTube channel's really taking off So, and you're,
1: and you're a dad And so, uh, you know, any moment that we can get with you Is always a uh, treasure
0: time Yeah, thanks Oh, that, that faded really quickly Yeah, thanks <laughs> uh, Fifth appearance now on the podcast <laughs>
2: He just left the room, I thought, in disgust, but he came back with a, with a balloon.
0: That's the perks oh. of having a two-year-old child. There's always helium balloons just lying mm. around, left over from various birthdays.
2: <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, welcome to episode 105 of Life Runs Podcast. We're here with Stephen Milo, ready to talk about uh, human evolution and brain size. Isn't that right, Carlton?
1: Yeah, man. So, uh, Stefan, oh. you are working on a new uh, new Good video. Reason. Well, you are probably working on a couple of videos, and you wanted to chat with us about some of the research material that you are using as it relates to human brain size. So, I guess like just to kind of kick us off and introduce us, like, uh, what are you working
0: on? Exciting stuff! Exciting, clickbaity evolutionary stuff for sure. So, many of a Life in Ruins listeners will probably be aware. over the course of human evolution our brain size increased a lot like four times but less well known is that recently certainly since like the end of the ice age it started going the other way it started shrinking again and basically no one's sure why no one's sure if it's affecting our whole brain or just parts of our brain it's a bit of a genuine mystery, but there are some, uh, some different ideas that people have
2: about what might have caused our brains to shrink. So my understanding was that, and this might be outdated now, but maybe the audience is familiar with this, that like we always hear that Neanderthals had bigger brains than humans. And then like the reason why our brains are smaller is that our brains are more compressed and the wrinkles in the, the ear eye and the sulci are more connected, so they're faster, didn't need to be as big. I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but that was my understanding.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know the parts of the brain that you just mentioned, as the video is still in. (laughs) The wrinkles. The wrinkles, yes, yes. The scientific term, yes. (laughs) What's complicated about discussing differences in brain size between, say, Neanderthals and Homo sapiens is that our bodies are different sizes, and so... Neanderthal brains were genuinely bigger than Homo sapien brains on average. I'm looking at a Neanderthal skull I've got here in my room. Old man of La Chapelle. He had a shout brain. Shout out, Shout out. We'll put his Instagram in the description. He had a brain size of 1600 cubic centimeters, and the m- average modern capacity, at least amongst like a European male, is like 1400 plus or minus about a hundred. So his brain would have been about 100 cubic centimeters bigger than the modern average bigger than the top end of the modern average um but if he'd have been a little bit stockier you know maybe it's not so so drastically bigger but it still probably was a
3: bit bigger yeah so it'd be like a ratio of like relative brain size compared to body size that's that'd be a better measure of it kind of
0: yeah exactly yeah it's yeah, uh so. that's you know, some magic formula between body size and brain size. Obviously an elephant's brain is way bigger than us, but they don't have microwaves. So (laughs) we're winning. (laughs) So we're definitely winning the evolutionary arms race. But yeah, so it's a bit of a mystery. No one's really sure why. No one's even sure if this affects the whole world that's another debate about it. It does seem to be extremely widely reported like certainly European brains have gotten smaller that's a definite Chinese people, South African people, Australians so it does seem to be like this huge geographic span but whether it's truly mm-hmm. global is uh, is also up
3: for debate. To bring it back a little bit farther so we think, There's obviously a brain size increase from like, was it like australopithecines, Connor? (coughs) That word. On, and there are like hypotheses about about why and how that happened. Could you guys like give us like a a brief summary of of that so we can kind of compare and contrast and see how like these other factors that are involved in kind of brain size Well, there seems seems to be this
1: inverse size, like the larger the brain, the smaller the gut. So like ancestral hominids, like Mm -hmm. the australopithecines, early homo have smaller brains, but they have larger guts because a lot of that is believed to have to do with at some point we start using fire to cook our food, which like pre-digests it. So we don't need to spend as much energy on digesting and therefore we can fuel larger brains. So there's that whole aspect. And like that even is still like highly debated topic within paleoanthropology is when are we starting with fire and like what's the causality for us getting larger brains but there seems to be like as guts get smaller brains get bigger so that's where the energy is coming from right so if you imagine a human body like a cpu it only has a hundred percent at any one point and you have to divvy up what programs are using most of the gpu so looking at humans when you spend less energy on the gut, you can spend more on like your processor or something, you know, equivalent to whatever the brain is. Right. So that's, that's kind of the idea and the, so
2: the fire is doing the digesting
1: -digesting, pre-digesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Okay.
1: so, you know, like other carnivores, right. Like they, like lions will gorge, you know, they'll eat, one big meal and like relax for two days and then another one because like after they eat all that meat, they just like lay around and they have to digest. Whereas like the ability to cook food, pre-process it for us so we don't have to spend nearly as long digesting. So I mean, as as Stefan mentioned, we see that upward trend of cranial capacity, CCs. I mean, Neanderthals end up having the largest cranial capacity, but you know, Neanderthals end up becoming subsumed into the greater homo sapiens, sapien population. And uh, we kind of, I think goes for what, Neanderthal cranial capacity is about 650 cc's, and Homo sapiens is about 600 cc's, if I'm correct. S- uh,
0: centimeters. Uh, no, 1600. Head. Yeah, yeah. 1600, not yeah. 600. 600 would be like early Homo.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I missed, a, I missed
0: a, I missed a, I missed
1: My tens, one of my tens places. So yeah, so there's cranial capacity, and then there's also um, cubic centimeters, both are cc's. So, you sent us two articles to help maybe explain this or a new trend that we're seeing, Stefan, um, that you had mentioned. First one is The Hypotheses for the Evolution of Reduced Reactive Aggression in the Context of Human Self-Docation by Dr. Richard Rangham from the Department of Human Evolutionary
2: Biology at Harvard. Oh, he's um chimpanzee guy. He did Rangham et al. about the chimpanzee aggression. That was part of my thesis. Oh, sweet. Um, And then we have
1: when and why did human brains decrease in size? A new change point analysis and insights from brain evolution in ants by De Silva et al. 2021. So how
0: did you get on this topic, Stefan? I was just just perusing the internet as I do, looking for interesting topics that would make great evolution-themed YouTube videos, prehistoric-themed YouTube videos. And it's just sometimes you just hear an idea... And it immediately just starts, you know, a chain reaction in your brain. It's just, I don't think people who are even pretty familiar with human evolution are aware that our brains have decreased in size. That is really not what we anticipate the trajectory of our evolution to be, especially because since this decline has occurred, we've absolutely hit our stride in terms of like technological developments, scientific developments, cultural developments. There's no sign that we're declining in intelligence and yet our brains are decreasing. And, um, that's just interesting. I think someone's (laughs) going to see that and think it's interesting. So that's what, that's what got me started on that, on that road. And then just sort of picking apart, trying to find different papers, see what, different experts are saying about this and i am not an expert to any of the listeners this is my fifth time on the show so you already know i'm not an expert but just to just so everyone knows that but i've been on five day. times yeah. or is this your fifth time it's fifth time I think so
2: oh wow huh yeah, you're you're the guy that we call when we're like, I don't know, Stefan probably does, <laughs> and then we just have you on. Well,
0: that's a nice way of putting, like, damn, we didn't book a guest. What's <laughs> Stefan up to <laughs> this week?
2: <laughs> no, man, but you you know, like your stuff. Like, I I can't. I dabbled in that stuff in college. Like, we all took physical anthropology or biological anthropology, but like, obviously, you're more read up on it than the three of us probably. So.
0: It's hard, man. I know enough to be dangerous, but no video gets released on my channel without someone more knowledgeable than me reading it I'm and thinking. giving it the once over. So I do take that precaution always. But yeah, I know enough to be dangerous. That's for sure.
2: Speaking of dangerous. So this thing is saying that the Wrangham paper that, so reduced reactive aggression. Then I'm reading the abstract here, trying to quote it Sophisticated language enabled males of low fighting prowess to cooperatively plan the execution of physically aggressive and domineering alpha males. This system is known today as a leveling mechanism in small scale societies. Group structured culture selection possibly accelerated the process. So, that probably doesn't make a lot of people happy, but it is interesting.
1: I immediately think of the Capitol 2021 riots, like a bunch of low status males banded together to try to use
2: violence to overcome. They would definitely
1: consider
0: themselves <laughs> alpha males. I'm sure yeah, if you yeah, ask the true. average attendee, they're, they're not betas, they're alphas. We're the sheep. <laughs> yeah. But that's uh basically one of the main ideas behind this brain reduction is that humans have somehow domesticated ourselves in the same way that we've deliberately domesticated animals like cows and sheep and goats and things. We've also inadvertently we got against dogs. done the same process to our bodies. Because when if you looked at wild animals compared to their domestic counterparts, there are these certain physical features that seem to pretty consistently manifest. They get smaller, smaller teeth reduced sexual dimorphism so males and females are more similar in size and it seems that their brains are smaller and if you looked at our anatomy compared to the anatomy of some archaic homo like homo erectus neanderthals people like that you could argue that we share these same physical features as a domesticated animal so maybe we're all the sheep we've all domesticated (laughs) ourselves you know um, so that's one of the main ideas behind this this idea.
2: So I know what you're saying. So it's like prognosticism, I believe, is like the, the word for like a Neanderthal's face that kind of juts out like they have a snout almost yeah. versus more than a human does. And our faces are scrunched up. And I'm looking here at the citations in the paper because I figured you'd cite this. A lot of them talk about neural crest cells. And those are the cells that are either more suppressed or suppressed when you're in utero, I believe that make your cartilage, essentially it's what makes a dog's ears flop and what's makes their face scrunch up shorter. Yeah. So I'm curious to know if that's what happens to us, because that it is undeniable that our faces are a little more flat than they were. A lot more flat. I mean, if you look at the
1: australopithecines, you know, even Homo erectus has a jutting snout. So, I mean, there is that trend and like the mandibles get smaller. We actually get a jaw. Our zygomatic arches get smaller because they're not supporting such large jaw muscles. And so does our our sagittal crest disappear. So, I mean, there's that whole trend of the gracilization of our facial features. But one of the last things that hasn't really shrunk as rapidly as some of our other facial features is our Wisdom teeth and molars, which is why people have to get wisdom teeth removed because there's still kind of this holdout uh, ancestral feature because teeth take a little bit longer to, I guess, like basically shrink as opposed to the mandibles. So that's why we have to get wisdom teeth taken out is just kind of this vestigial trait from when we did need large teeth and large um, jaw muscles to
0: crack open much more dense Eating material. Yeah. The idea behind, like you mentioned, the neural crest cells, I think, David, the idea behind that Mm. is that those cells do affect the amount of adrenaline in our systems. And so the idea behind maybe they're responsible for this domestication is that a wild animal maybe has more adrenaline in their system. That's why they're reacting violently. That's why they're, you know, it's sort of instrumental to their fight or flight ability is the adrenaline in their- It's the Fox experiment. Yeah, it's the adrenaline in their system. So when these animals are being domesticated and selected for sociability, maybe this affects the amount of adrenaline in their system, but these neural crest cells, I think that's what they're called, don't just develop our adrenal system, they also affect- Our skulls, our ears, all sorts of parts of our body. They just develop into various parts of our body. So maybe when you dial down the adrenaline, you also get small teeth and floppy ears. But that's one of the ideas behind this brain size reduction is that we have domesticated ourselves. However, spanner in the works, this reduction in brain size seems to have occurred in the last, say, 30,000 years. But we have been on this process of domestication for presumably much longer than that. So why did we develop all these other features, but still maintain a big brain? Maybe there's some other factor that's uh, affecting our brain size. Interesting.
3: Yeah, and I think on that note, we'll end the segment and we'll talk about this a little bit more. It's episode 105 of A Life in Ruins podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back
2: to episode 105 of A Life in Ruins podcast. We're here with our good friend, Stefan Milo. It is his fifth time. You're in the five timers club, man. We should get you a bathrobe like they gave Tom Hanks on SNL. That was there. You I go making promises we can't keep again. <laughs> I was yeah. Waiting for that.
3: Everyone who comments and leaves this review will get a bathrobe with the number <laughs> of episodes they've been on. So make sure you follow that at the end of the show. We
1: should give out Taekwondo belts and like give out different colors and stripes for every every time they. Build yeah,
0: up. yeah, yeah. I'm up for that. <laughs> but make them silk.
2: Oh. yeah, like Ooh. a kung <laughs> fu silk. I love the finest robes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We talked uh, last segment or we ended talking about neural crest cells and how that like kind of suffocates the like facial prognosticism of dogs and like sheep. And like, if you look at a, like an Ibex or a a mouflon or extinct now, but like what they look like, like, and then versus a sheep or a goat, it's a lot smaller. Dogs are a lot smaller. Cats kind of stay the same, but is that happening with humans and this domestication with humans it's not necessarily like at the rise of agriculture 10,000 years ago. It was happening before that. Like we said, 30,000. So do we think maybe it has to do with like people starting to live in like not sedentary villages, but like we're living in camps and traveling around more around that time? It's more I don't
1: like- know. But like you know, for me, though, like domestication, like we did a whole series on domestication. If you haven't listened to it, go back because we we actually go through the processes of domestication. Right. Like. Part of domestication is selective breeding, we didn't do that, you know what I mean like intentionally intentionally I think there's like there's so many factors at play right because mouflon ibex, wild horse, all these pre domesticated animals that all of our you know everything that you can find at McDonald's came from. Was in one intentionally bred, but two like we're the only species that we know of that can communicate very complex. Like there's so much going on, right? Like we have language, our communication style is very different. We have like far more robust toolkits, you know what I mean. So I think like you can't just compare humans as a society at a population level
0: to like other species at a population level because like we have so many factors going into mm-hmm. it. That's one of the. Criticisms or problems with the human self-domestication is that without a farmer guiding our s- sexual choices, how did it happen? Why? Why would it be advantageous to select against aggression in the context of human society?
1: Yeah, and there's just so much gene flow, like, and especially with globalization, we have access to uh, you know reproductive partners that we otherwise wouldn't have, right? So I mean, like, we've had so much. Like there's not selective breeding, right? Like you have pug breeders, golden retriever breeders, you know. Hitler tried it and, you know, his program got shut down after
3: six years. What can you do? Uh, (laughs) uh, uh. I don't know if calling it a program is the most appropriate way to describe what was going on there. Maybe.
2: Agenda? I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, but, I'm not
1: comparing it to like the Atkins diet. Yeah, it's not like I a five-step like, sure, diet, sure. but he had, he had the final solution was a step program. By step to the master race. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: so, <laughs> live from Madagascar. All right. Anyway, that was Derek. Let's go. So in my TikTok videos where I was talking about like Neanderthals, cause people kept asking me questions uh, on those comments were like, that was a cesspool of racism in there. Um, the interesting thing that I always find in like, talking to other people about this stuff, and I think you and I had this conversation via text one time, when you're meeting with Neanderthals, like humans meet with Neanderthals, I personally think it'd be a little more peaceful than it would have been violent because like you need to know, like you're going to communicate, you're going to trade, you're going to have sex with them. Sex could also be violent, and that's part of it. But if we're not selecting for less aggression. It's like humans at this point have the choice to be like a little more peaceful than like aggressive with each other when they're meeting. And then we start spreading around everywhere. Like maybe that's part of it. Well, I mean,
0: there's so much at play. There's so much at play. So this idea doesn't suggest that we are unwilling to kill and destroy other groups, but it's that we're less willing to snap and be aggressive at those around us. That's where that, the reactive aggression part of the title of that uh-huh. paper came in. Obviously, we're still extremely capable of terrible acts of violence. Mm-hmm. Generally, though, they seem to be directed at people we consider a different group rather than those immediately around us. But yeah, I mean, you know, if the idea is that we have been on this domestication process and Neanderthals were on it to a lesser extent, then... Maybe it's hard to explain our uh, interbreeding with them because when we met, you know, we were similar enough that we bred, and the offspring of that interaction were successful enough in their communities that their genes were passed on because we still have that Neanderthal DNA within us to this day, or Denisovan DNA if you're from Asia, Australia, the Americas as well. So that, you know, might be hard to explain if If we were so vastly different to other archaic humans again you know why why would it be a disadvantage for us to be aggressive you could argue is is another is yeah. another thing that's hard to explain perhaps because
3: yeah. we can't watch them we can't observe these groups interact that's the hard thing so well I wonder how much i mean you can see obviously you see pictures of like anatomically modern humans and Neanderthals, but like. Encountering them on on like a randomly on somewhere, like how how much are you going to be able to recognize as like the difference between you? I mean, I I don't I don't know how like fundamentally how much you could see that they're different. I mean, eventually, like maybe like. (laughs) Later on, you'll see different like the cultural differences and, and and whatnot. But like that interaction doesn't seem like my first guess would be like, oh, these those people are different than me.
2: Yeah, because there's know? not that many people on the the plant. Like it's not extremely populated, so like they just look like another bipedal. Like oh, they're like yeah. us. We've but talked
1: about this before. Like different. what Connor's referring to is the subway test. Like if you were to take a hominid, drop them, mm-hmm. dress them in human clothes, modern day clothes, and put them on a subway, are you going to call the zoo or be not bothered by it? right like if you were to take a neanderthal or denisovan like trim up the beard give him a man bun put him in a suit you're not going to think anything of it right crocs. and at the end you know at the <laughs> end of the give him some crocs. I don't think they're that primitive but i think and I, and i've alluded i've said this before there's like more genetic variation within human population today than what we know of between ancestral homo sapiens neanderthalensis and homo and ancestral homo sapiens sapiens back
0: then yeah yeah It's hard, it's hard, you know, it's hard to, a lot of these ideas about human self-domestication revolve around ideas that are sort of cultural or linguistic, like, oh, smaller Homo sapiens could have used their language to team up on more aggressive members of their community and like scheme and plan their downfall when their back's not turned. But how do you test for that in the archaeological records? Impossible, realistically. And again, you know, archaic humans probably had some form of communication, I would I would bet. So it's it's a mm-hmm. difficult idea to test for. And yet our physical features do resemble those of a domesticated animal. And they're starting to see signs within our DNA of similarities between Homo sapiens and domesticated animals. But interesting. How this mechanism and process went down it's really hard to say
2: within like wolves versus dogs like wolves are obviously extremely socially intelligent that's like how we got them to be dogs but the difference between wolf intelligence and dog intelligence is like staunch and dog intelligence with their shrunken heads and shrunken brains are more socially intelligent with humans whereas wolves don't really interact with humans the same way um, but they're very socially intelligent with each other. So it definitely changes the communication in the brain, but we've selected for dogs to be more like us. In the beginning, it was probably a little more natural. But along those lines, then applying it to humans, like I guess we, kind of like you just said, are selecting for people who are good at diffusing intrapersonal
3: violence. I don't know. I think that's you could say that's the act of the, the farmer or the person in the background is that the domestication of animals is more pronounced because there is that greater person behind making these decisions. Like what does self-domestication really look like without someone else making these big selective things is the question, you know, like we, there's that director versus like non-director thing that I think you were kind of highlighting there. Yeah. I mean, it could be connected to group survival, obviously in, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago,
0: it's really like group survival that is probably going to be beneficial in passing on your genes rather than any individual efforts on your part, perhaps. So if there was hypothetically this group that cooperated better, worked together better, they might have a survival advantage against more aggressive, perhaps, homo sapiens who are terrible at working together. And even though you know they're an absolute tank... You know, I got a whole crew with me who can take you on, you know, that's some of the ideas, but again, how do you test for that? It's so hard. And there are so many factors at play, like increasing sophistication of tools Mm -hmm. and uh, all sorts of things that, that could have also affected this.
2: Rangum, who also wrote this paper, wrote one, I forget what it's called, but it's like a controversial paper and it's on chimpanzee aggression and whether or not humans are innately violent or not. And like, if you just watch chimpanzees in a documentary, they're extremely violent, and they rip monkeys' heads off and eat them, and they rip each other apart. So therefore, we would think that, like, humans are inherently violent. And he did this experiment where they, like, observed chimpanzees, and, like, the chimpanzees would essentially, like, go on, like, war parties. And just, I think his conclusion was that, like, it's just random. They just decide to, like... Curb stop another group at there, there's no provocation for it. They just do it. But the criticism to that study is that like we're encroached upon their territory now. Chimpanzees behave differently than they did um because now that it's environmental pressures and they're a little more. So it's just like you could say it's completely uh, human messed up now or not. But it was an interesting study. You guys should check it out. I'll try to remember the name of it.
1: Yeah, I read it for theory. I mean, imagine Connor, you did too for bio theory. But I mean, like as you said it's controversial and there's been a bunch of articles cuz like also part of that he stipulated that more aggressive chimpanzees have access to greater mates and the follow up studies have showed that like female yeah. chimpanzees have like far more agency than most people thought like they have a number of different mechanisms to make males think they have a chance or like the uh, the one I'm thinking of is Tyranny of the Testes is the article that actually goes into, like, actually female chimpanzees. That's the best title for any article ever. Yes. <laughs> they have a number number of different mechanisms to, like, make sure that they actually have the choice in who they're breeding with. And so oftentimes they will trick, like, those most dominant violent males into thinking they had um, a breeding session when, in fact, they used uh, various apparatus to keep the semen from doing anything. Any, any of their work. Wow, that's crazy. Highly
2: recommend it. was one of the most fascinating articles i ever read.
1: <clears throat> and um, so.
2: Pulling it up right here. It's Rangham et al. 2006. I just can't remember the name of it.
1: I mean, and, and we've kind of, we've talked about this several times now. Like, there's so many more factors when it comes to humans other than just, and like, how are we measuring violence, right? Like, mm-hmm. You know what determines it you know I, it could be argued maybe it was like religion that domesticated folks you can look at how after christianization scandinavian populations didn't go rating as much like there's a number of different i think case studies we can look at to show like different cultural ap- apparatus can change your behavior
0: right for sure well let's let's get on to let's ignore human domestication then and let's get on to some of these other factors like the world's greatest time period, the Neolithic. <laughs> so one of the other ideas behind this uh brain reduction for those that don't know who haven't listened to my other four appearances, that's because these guys hate on the Neolithic and I love that time period. But but anyway I'm on your team. That's true, like, that's true. Like, like,
2: I'm
3: on your side <laughs> Boo! Of this. Boo! Yeah.
2: I'm Mesolithic now. Mostly thing.
0: That's, that's, to thing. that's not even a proper that's time a cop period. Out. Yeah, that's yeah, a cop-out. Yeah, it's a cop-out. <laughs> Come
2: on.
3: <laughs> Choose one or the other. Our
2: tools are more complex at that point. But anyway, anyway.
0: Yeah, so one idea for our brain size reduction is that our bodies also seem to have gotten smaller since probably the Neolithic. And there are various reasons that might have explained that, but probably just, you know, nutritional stress. Uh, which is the posh academic term for starvation and like (laughs) no food. But people might have been under nutritional stress and our body sizes seem to have gotten smaller. And there are various estimates flying around, but at least the one in the papers I read is that we have lost five kilograms of body mass in the last 10,000 years, which would naturally decrease our brain size too because a smaller body doesn't need Mm -hmm. as big a brain. How... However, the criticism to that idea is that our brains have shrunk much more than would be predicted from a 5 kilogram body size reduction. That would presumably result in like a 20 to 25 cubic centimeter reduction in brain size, and the average loss of brain size observed is somewhere between 100 and 150. So it could be a factor that our just small, weak pharma bodies caused our brains to get smaller. But it perhaps is not the only factor because they've decreased so much, seemingly.
2: Yeah. And at that point, too, we're, I guess, going back to what I said earlier, but I don't know if this is right or not. But at that point, we're living in more complex and complex is a subjective word now. But we're living in bigger numbers together, um, communicating more. And we're also living domestically, like in huts and stuff in big villages. So like maybe those two things have symbiotic, pro- I don't know what the word symbiotic property. Like maybe they work in tandem. I don't know. But it's, that's only been 10,000 years, six in some places. And then does that apply to the old world versus the new world? And like, I don't know. It's interesting.
1: Right. And this is all coming from the article by De Silva at all, correct?
0: Yeah. John, yeah. yeah. John Hooks. Uh, the criticism of the um, idea that farming reduced our brain size because he thinks our brains have decreased by more than should be expected. Um, And then this paper that you referenced by De Silva and uh, various others, Jeremy De Silva, argues that our brains reduced in size much more recently than either the self-domestication hypothesis or the farming hypothesis would suggest and uh he thinks based on this study of 985 skulls i think that our brains have decreased in size as recently as like three to say five thousand years so real recent evolution
1: yeah and then they want to know if uh brain evolution ants can also help solve the problem which is a whole other can of ants at the whole that can of worms. Remember that, to we'll talk
3: right about back.
2: babies when we get back. All
1: right, <laughs> all right. Well, we'll be right back with a uh, segment. Uh, We're we'll right back with Stefan Milo here on episode one hundred and five. <laughs> Stay tuned. And welcome back to episode one hundred and five. We're still here with Stefan Milo. We are not charging him by the hour for all <laughs> his appearances, but <laughs> Stefan mentioned charging any- me, more than paying me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he's not charging us by De Silva at all that they have over the population of their sample. Basically, they're comparing different cubic centimeters of cranial cranial capacity among homo sapiens back to australopithecines. Total, they have 988 individuals, 988 uh, specimens. However, one of the things that I'd like to highlight is that most of that data is homo sapiens. So like, if you look at the graph of this article, and you guys will be able to find this article on our episode description. So if you look at the graph, um, figure one on page three, I mean, they can have a a somewhat representation of how many samples they have. But if you actually go in, they'll tell you um, with uh, the supplementary data, right? They have like one psilhanthropus. They have 29 Paranthropus. one artipithecus, And then like 156 late Pleistocene homo sapiens or late Pleistocene homo. So that includes the Denisovs, Neanderthals, and early modern homo sapiens. And then Holocene... Homo sapiens, 699. So modern day homo, homo sapiens comprise over 70% of the data that they use, whereas some of the more ancestral hominids going back from Miocene hominids, australopithecines, they're in like the single or double digits. It's so like already like from my aspect of looking at this as, as a data scientist, sample sizes is, is critical. And, and this isn't like them trying to be sneaky. They are using... The data that we have, we do not have complete skulls from most of our, our ancestral lineage. And, and I imagine some of these are also like reconstructed based off of the
0: curvatures of the bones that they're finding. And they are. I have spoken to Jeremy this way. He is obviously well aware that that is the weakness of this study, is the sample size. But there is only one Sahelanthropus skull in the entire yeah. world that we have. So Absolutely. That is, it's it's just the, that's just how it goes with the archaeological record when you go so far back in time like that.
1: Right. And then also when it comes to, you know, the Homo sapiens skulls are coming from a variety of regions, right? And so what I like to see personally is like, is there differences among continents, among a, a different demographics. That's what I'd like to see personally. It's just like, okay, we can lump all 699 homo sapien schools together. But also we know t- today that if we were to compare modern homo sapien schools, we would we would break down the data a little differently. So I'd like to kind of see like, well, maybe is it, or is this mean mean as in like the, not like the mean, mean, median mode is, is this mean value that we're getting being weighted down by maybe like a particular region where these homo sapien crania are just happen to be smaller, which could be, you know, due to a couple factors because maybe, uh, those, uh, agriculture folks, right? Like we've talked about early Neolithic and late Mesolithic. Those folks are eating one, if they're lucky, they have two grains, with rocks in them and like that's all they got (laughs) (laughs) you know like yeah
2: we've
1: yes i mean we've talked about it like early neolithic diets are, are miserable and we haven't seen the benefits of you know real agriculture until like the industrialization where we have it at our fingertips right i mean it's a fascinating topic and i'm really glad stefan brought this up because like there's anybody can weigh on this topic like i'm not an evolutionary biologist by any means but i know how to how to kind of like look at data and be like, okay, well, how else can we do this differently? And then that's pretty cool stuff. And then you've had the opportunity to talk to him, And I imagine like for the video,
0: right? Uh, it was in his main area of expertise is on bipedalism, which is what I was talking to him about, but I did ah. uh, bring it up and he is, is going to uh, check the video before I release it just to make sure I don't misrepresent his uh, point or, or research. But yeah, that's a, uh, that is obviously you know, there's so many things that could be said about this uh, data set. It is from a, a large geographical span. But obviously, all of us are aware, and I'm sure the listeners are aware, the science of Europeans traveling around the world, measuring people's brain sizes, has been wildly misused in the past. Back to and that Nazi program
3: we mentioned. Yeah, earlier. yeah, yeah. Speaking, <laughs> of, it always comes back to those guys. Um, well, we could also talk about it before that. I mean, we don't always. That's no, true. Talk about yeah, the yeah, Nazis. Yeah, we could talk about like the late 1800s folks. You know. Yeah, the, we could talk yeah. about who
1: the Nazis based their program off of, which was yeah, like yeah, American oh yeah, anthropologists who were the groundbreakers for <laughs> yeah, everything the Nazis did in the 30s. They're like, how do we, how do we optimize the genocide of American Indians? Like, let's let's take what the U.S. did and, and make it more efficient.
3: Well yeah, they they were they're pioneers of our discipline that were then the pioneers of what was ultimately used for the Nazi program. Like we we revere these people but there's always that asterisk right <laughs> like yeah. if yeah, you, you don't take want this it. all the way to the end of where you wanted to, to yeah. go I mean yeah.
2: maybe people were coming in Ellis Island left and right maybe they took some calipers out and dished about out to different states depending <laughs> on the size of their heads maybe well what can you do they didn't let uh, David's family
0: get further than New York <laughs> <laughs> they're like you gotta <laughs> stay right here your heads are <laughs> too big anywhere
2: can. contribute to the economy yeah
0: <laughs> Speaking but, of, but oh, in, yeah. in terms of like biases, so obviously there was that bias that people had that people just went around measuring skulls just to prove that Europeans were the best, or they thought they were the best. I should Western clarify. Europeans. There's an asterisk. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, yeah. Europeans,
1: Europeans
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> just British people were the best, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, but there is also a bias in that. There are not many publications of brain sizes of, say, Homo sapiens after 30,000 years, because there is maybe this assumption you know, you sort of measure cranial capacity when we're dealing with other species of hominin, because we want to gauge their intelligence and we also want to compare it to us. But then once Homo sapiens are the only species in town and we're on every continent, I think honestly, this tendency to measure our cranial capacity isn't there. Like if you guys found, you know, this brain reduction is hypothesized to have happened in the last 3000 years, but in your guys' experiences, archaeologists and anthropologists, if you found a 3000 year old skeleton, are you measuring its cranial capacity at all? No, 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 no. So there's, there's various like factors at play here, some conscious, some not.
3: Yeah, I think even like fifty years ago, like would you me- measure someone of uh, a minority ethnicity fifty years ago? Measure their skull for for brain size? Is that even considered ethical? I think maybe we could get rid of it. We could get we could measure it today with maybe. That was just science class back then. <laughs> yeah, that was like, oh,
1: the Indians died. Let's just dig up dig up this Indian burial. And let's start measuring stuff that was yeah NACPRO hasn't been passed for very long Connor people were doing that in the 80s absolutely
3: yeah but I'm just saying today JJ. like well, that's 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 the point of this is that you can't you can't go have these conversations today because we're not allowed to like Stefan's bringing up that we can't we can't measure those things without being like eh! This feels a little weird. Yeah, you know, yeah, we have cultural
1: taboos in archaeology revolving like cranial metrics now. Like exactly. We need yeah. a couple more generations to die before we feel comfortable. We need some bridges yeah. to get rebuilt before we can even have those
3: conversations again. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's a, and it's a fair it's a fair criticism. Like, there's all the stuff that's been levied against it is fair and justified. But at the same point. We need to be able to have that conversation in the future. That's all I'm saying.
2: Before we ended the last segment, I was thinking about like birth. Because last time I brought up that was gonna be a father. But that was a joke. So if humans' heads are getting smaller as like we go on and we thought it would be not that, like our heads are so big and like until what, like nineteen eighty, like people died in childbirth, left and right. So like maybe it has something to do with that. Like your brains just had to be smaller or else like you just didn't survive.
1: Well, and if our heads are getting smaller, then how come the grays heads are so big? Does that mean that they're violent still and they're not as domesticated? The The whose heads? heads? The grays
0: from Roswell. I don't know what he's talking about.
1: (laughs) It's Listen an alien that.
3: joke, Stephen. Like,
1: oh, the gray, oh, the gray alien. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. God is shaking his head I, head. I thought
3: it was like a Skyrim joke or something. It's like the, the storm cloaks are. I've never you know.
1: seen. Know. Like, have I you don't ever know seen what you Paul about. or like
0: how aliens have massive heads? They're all being delivered by C section once you get to that level of technology, <laughs> for
1: sure.
0: No, but you're right, David. There is this like push pull factor with like the evolution of our brain size. Like, on the one hand, you want the biggest brain possible to you know just have more room for memories and intelligence and all these things but you know the you don't the want to dislocate your pelvis is, yeah is that you're <laughs> going to kill your mom if your brain is too big so there may be fundamentally some survival advantage in having the smallest possible brain that can still function perfectly well in human society just because of that easier childbirth that just might be fundamentally advantageous
1: And maybe like, and this is, once again, I have no background on this, the advent of the printing press and writing and like documentation where we don't, maybe there's a part of our brain for memory that isn't being, needs as much energy because now we have like a Dropbox in the form of literature, the web, that we don't need to put as much And I have no idea how the brain works. Like, I'm completely, totally off on this, right? But maybe, like, our processing power, right, going back to that analogy, isn't required to remember stuff as well because we have these other extra biological mechanisms to help our brains function
0: without our brain having
1: to put in the effort.
2: Yeah,
0: That's what De and his crew hypothesize, is that if their study is correctly identifying the point in time where our brains started reducing, say three to 5,000 years ago, you know, what has developed since then for sure, like large-scale urbanism, writing and things like that, things that have allowed us to externalize information. And when you factor in what we said at the start about how expensive our brains are to maintain, they're so expensive that we literally had to shrink our guts to allow them to develop then maybe if we're writing stuff down and we don't need to remember it, there's some advantage in uh, in having a smaller brain.
2: Shit.
3: I would love to see the effect of the internet, you know, factored into this too, which is like all these like writing, bookkeeping, etc. to like such a crazy degree where it's all in one place where we're all like a, a second away from finding an answer. Like I wonder, you know, in the longer studies we have, how the internet affects that, because I assume it's the same with, you know, language and all those sort of things. I bet you could see, like, different things changing like that. It would be interesting. I feel like the kids of these days, these TikTok kids are, like, not using their brains as much.
1: I will tell you, as someone mm-hmm. who teaches freshmen, I am concerned for the ability of students to retain information because it is, I can't tell if it's, I'm becoming an old curmudgeon, maybe a they little bit They got a lot of, of their
2: plates.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned as an it's instructor. That is the implication of this study, though, is that if writing externalized information and so we shrank our brains, then our ability to externalize information has increased infinitely in the last 20 mm. years, you know. Like, uh, your listeners could literally be shrinking their brains listening to this podcast.
1: They are. They are. are. (laughs) They They absolutely are. There's no doubt. don't offer financial compensation. Like, we we are not liable for any damages to your ears, brain, you
2: know. That's fascinating, though, because then, like, in an apocalypse situation, one, people are going to start dying in childbirth left and right again, so there could be a huge bottleneck. And then also- Well, not if our brains have gone smaller,
0: but yeah, carry on, yeah.
2: Isn't it still? Like, they- it's pretty rough to have a baby. I don't know. Oh, definitely I mean, yeah, that's also more. just
0: bipedalism in general. Like, mm. Yeah. I mean, for yeah. sure more would die if modern medicine just poof
1: and disappeared. More people exactly. would die okay. for sure. Yeah. yeah. But, Let's get back to the uh, dark ages in terms of child mortality. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but w- with that, in addition to like not being able to externalize and share information well, and you're going back into like little bands of people like, yeah, population would just like, that's interesting. Cause I don't know, I go on a whole tangent on that, but yeah. It well,
3: it's like, it's like you have an external hard drive that you loaded all your files onto and you keep cloud. it all there. Yeah. Yeah. You keep it in the cloud. You keep it somewhere else where you're like, I, I need to access this at some point. And then you cut off that connection to that. And then you're yeah, stuck, the with, gone. just like, yeah, just yeah. with your base files. You're like, I can drink water. I can maybe eat food. I can maybe want to have sex, you know. There's like <laughs> you might lose the more complex things there but like the base data is still there, the OS is still there. Kind of true. Thing.
2: Huh.
3: Just what would be Carlton's
1: <laughs> What is RAM? I, I don't know fellas <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know what RAM is in our hypothetical comparing <laughs> humans to com- off, you know computers idea.
0: But I'm just desperately trying to think of a sex joke <laughs> <laughs> I'd be the RAM David yeah you got it I
1: guess like you know this, this was a lot of fun stuff and like thank you for pushing us to talk about a topic now push us outside the House. Like I really enjoyed this conversation. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Maybe one day we'll be able to compensate you for your time, but it is not this day.
3: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it is not this day. Uh, no, we are. Yeah, we are I mean, there's
3: there's some sort of trade going in the background that we probably shouldn't talk about because you know. We don't want to talk about why we are trading our in, our half Indian friend to yeah, steps. Well, that's probably the worst thing. We're we're engaging
1: in Indian giving. Is, is, is yeah. what's happening right now? <laughs> the <a> new Thanksgiving.
3: <laughs> this <laughs> is that's the first thing I thought of when you sent that email back. You're like, oh, I would love Carlton to come talk about this. You know, and I was like, oh my god, we're selling. Well, well,
1: we're giving, we're, well, we're, well, we're well, well, well. Before I look absolutely terrible,
3: <laughs> I would
0: like to point out. David's already come on my YouTube channel and talked about dogs and I just don't know why you study Connor. So that's a flip I, <laughs> don't, I, I don't, I don't but study enough to, to make a video. Of,
3: no, no, I don't make, I don't study enough stuff that is important enough to make a video about. So <laughs> yeah. it was just a really bad joke. So yeah, sorry.
2: <laughs> Do you have any, uh, fi- <laughs> any final thoughts or things you want to say, Steven, about these, these papers? It's been fascinating.
0: Yeah uh just it'll, you it'll know be bear in there, mind yeah. that i've been researching this topic a lot for the uh video upcoming video but i could have got some things uh, wrong but also i was right about everything and it's a really fascinating uh, subject yeah if anyone has any uh, other sort of quirks of human evolution that they think they've heard about let me know on twitter i'll do it I feel Stephen free to Milo. use any-
1: yeah, and feel free to use any clips if they're useful of this episode for your for your show. I don't know if there's anything <coughs> your um, elite audience can can take out of a life and ruins banter, but feel free. And for anyone and w- else, for for a handful of beads and a blanket, you too can get an Indian to appear on <sighs> on your show, YouTube or or podcast, whatever whatever platform you use.
2: <laughs> Lord, um, <It's- laughs> I had a. <laughs> A question about putin like does he have more prognosticism than other people and that's why he's more aggressive no. No.
0: well i do worry that after i release this video everyone's going to be looking at their like big-headed cousin kind of funny like <laughs> what's going on with
2: this guy yeah that would be the implication <laughs> could get applied bad um but no i think this should be all right
3: Awesome. So, um, where, where can our people, uh, our, our people who are already following you, where can they find you on your, your YouTubes, your your Twitters? Just your go own, to bestplace
0: is youtube.com forward slash Stefan Milo. S T E F A N M I L O. Don't skip the ads. And uh, yeah he needs that revenue guys well stefan
1: it's always a pleasure having you on the show man um we really appreciate your time you guys can find uh stefan on youtube as you just said stefan milo really great content i use it to teach my students when i don't feel like teaching So keep up the good work stefan (laughs) and uh with that we are out
2: thanks for listening to a life in ruins podcast you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a life in ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a life and ruins podcast at gmail.com.
3: And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. And everybody it is that time. Once again, you've made it through
1: the closure of our show and it is time for Connor's joke. Connor,
3: what do you have for us today? I just put my child down to bed and I'm ready to give you a dad joke. So, I learned recently that dogs keep track of the amount of times you step on their tails. Uh, it's your Yelp score. Oof. Uh.
1: <laughs> 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 With All that, right. We are really out. Thank you, everybody.